Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. gentlemen boys and girls welcome back to another exciting episode of thriller coin talk today is august 25th 2019 and i am looking at everything that is going on with jackson hole wyoming that's right uh, there is an economic policy symposium that they have every year because it is scheduled on an annual basis and is hosted yes by the federal reserve bank of kansas city participants include central bankers policymakers, academics and economists from around the world, <laughs> and there is a different topic each year. Guess what this year's topic is? That's right, challenges of monetary policy. The symposium starts today, but the center of attention may be on federal chairman Jerome Powell. That's right, he had a speech on Friday where he plans to kind of give clues to a lot of us that are investors in this space, what exactly are the future plans of the Federal Reserve? So when he took the stage on Friday, he said that the Federal Reserve kept future interest rates cuts squarely on the table. And meaning this, he said that it has limited in its ability to counteract President Trump's trade policies, which are stoking uncertainty and posing risks to economic outlook. He also remarked that um, while monetary policy is a powerful tool that works to support consumer spending, business investment, and public confidence, it cannot provide a settled rule book for international trade. He says, our challenge now is to do what monetary policy can do to sustain the expansion, to achieve the Fed's goals of unemployment, and stable inflation. Take a listen to Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia President Patrick Harker as he explains his views on Jerome Powell. Now, I think right now we are where we need to be. That said, there are clearly these downside risks to the economy. And I think we would have to act as appropriate if those come to fruition or even look like they're coming to fruition. The biggest concern I have right now is when you talk to business leaders, Nobody I, I talk to says that the cost of capital is inhibiting business investment. And that has been the drag on the economy right now, is business investment, not the consumer. The consumer has been the hero of the American economy. So if that's true, right, that business investment is not being held back by the cost of capital, us reducing interest rates will have no effect. What's holding it back is the uncertainty around policy, particularly trade policy. So is there anything for the Fed to do at this moment? Are you feeling pressure to be the savior of the economy because you're the only game in town? So I think we have to act as appropriate when we see the economy uh, having a shock. I don't see that right now, so I don't think we need to act right now. Do you uh, anticipate uh, from what your business contacts are telling you that the economy is going to deteriorate or are they kind of on hold too? A lot of them are on hold. I mean, it's 
perfectly reasonable if you're sitting in a board right now, a corporate board, not to make a big bet until some of this uncertainty resolves itself. It's an absolutely reasonable thing to do. What are they telling you about uh, their economic outlook? In the absence of trade wars, would they be expanding? Yeah, what we hear is if the, especially around manufacturing, right, if we had more certainty around manufacturing, particularly globally, I mean, there are clear global risks, but those export-led economies like Germany are facing large challenges right now because of this uncertainty. Yeah, if that resolved itself, I think people would be making those investments. There's enough demand in the economy. Yeah. Look at the consumer. The American consumer continues to buy. Would the consumer be the last person, though, to feel <laughs> the change? I mean, if you're waiting yeah. for retail sales to fall off, are you going to then get a signal that's too late? No, but why is the consumer buying? Because the job market continues to be strong, right? The labor markets continue to be strong, and so household incomes continue to be strong. Well, you've got a reaction function that has been based on the idea for decades of controlling inflation and keeping inflation down. Inflation's gone away, as far as most people are concerned right yeah. now, and unemployment keeps going lower and lower. Do you need to change the way you look at the economy? No, I, I think, look, inflation clearly is a conundrum. That is, we don't really understand why it's been low for so long. and just, But it's not necessarily the case, and we see this around the world, that if you have a more accommodative monetary policy, you're going to suddenly move inflation. That's not happened in other countries. And so there's some underlying trends uh, with the economy that are different today than before that we continue to try to understand. In that situation where there's uncertainty, I don't think we should move precipitously in either direction. I think we should stay the course and see how things unfold. We do worry that Wall Street, uh, or global Wall Street, as it were, might overreact to Fed rate cuts and misallocate capital. Yes. I mean, one of the concerns is financial stability. That is, with rates going even lower, uh, leverage rising. And that is a concern for the economy. Do you see it anywhere yet? A little bit in leverage lending, but uh, it's something we need to keep. It's only something I'm watching. I wouldn't say it's a, a situation that warrants any action at this point. And that's kind of the main kind of selling point that I want to sell you on today is this lack of regard for inflation and deflation and how the Federal Reserve just kind of seems to ignore that. Um, they have gone on the offensive. You also have this new kind of wording that we're hearing now called a manufacturing recession as opposed to an actual recession that kind of came out on Friday as well, too. And most big publications like Bloomberg have come out and kind of rolled with this whole kind of U.S. and China trade war causing this manufacturing recession. And so take a listen to Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia President Patrick Harker as he explains exactly his views on the Fed Reserve's policy and the outlook for the U.S. economy and how all this threat is to central banks' independence. I like to think about the mid-90s examples, the 95 example and the 98 example. And I know some of your viewers weren't around paying attention to financial markets at that time. But if you look at that, the Fed adjusted, was worried about, let's say, the Asian currency crisis, very similar to today, lowered the policy rate by about 75 basis points. The U.S. economy actually powered through that whole episode. And then the committee took, took those insurance cuts away later. 
I think that's a great baseline uh, idea about what we're looking at now with a global trade war, global manufacturing and contraction, and possible spillovers to the U.S. You want to ensure the economy against that and stay out of uh, trouble. So you think maybe 75 basis points <coughs> is where you would st see us stopping at this point? I'm saying that's what they did in the 90s. Uh, I don't know uh, where we'll end up, but uh, uh, you know, I do think that you've got this yield curve that's uh, massively inverted here, and uh, you got the funds rate as the very highest point on the whole yield curve. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So we have to react to the fact that there's been a downdraft in global yields. What is it that you're insuring against? There doesn't seem to be a demand problem in the U.S. There doesn't seem to be a cost of credit problem in no, the this U.S. No, this is a global slowdown, and, <clears throat> and there's a trade war going on. I don't think there's resolution likely anytime soon. Um, and this trade war is triggering other actions around the world, other countries thinking about reevaluating their own trade relationships. So this could... Um, easily get out of control and easily feed back to the U.S. That's not my base case, but it is something that could happen I think we should protect against. But how does monetary policy do that? Well, lower rates will, uh, will stimulate our economy somewhat uh, compared to what they would be otherwise, and that would help us power through the, um, the, the waters, uh, the churning waters here of the trade war. A lot of people say lower rates won't help because the, re the problem that we're having is companies cutting back because of trade war uncertainty, not because they think that the economy is going yeah, to be a recession. Yeah, but it's a big economy. There are lots of other aspects to the economy, uh, you know, interest-sensitive sectors that are going to, uh, it's going to matter for them. How much additional growth do you think you can provide to the economy? Uh, well, that's a great question, and there's a long literature, much of it's been presented here at Jackson Hole over the years about, the, you know, what the real effects of monetary policy are and uh, how much the economy reacts. But if you think about the 90s uh, Asian currency crisis example, uh, we actually argued in St. Louis during that period that uh, because rates were lower because of the flight to safety, that that helped uh, the economy get through that episode with kind of unscathed. And so, uh, you know, maybe we can get an outcome like that this time around. Well, how much of it is the fact, uh, the, the idea that somebody will see lower interest rates and go buy a car, and how much of it is just reassuring people that somebody's watching out for the economy? Well, we do want to uh, continue the expansion, and we're certainly willing to take all uh, actions that we need to to continue the expansion as best we can. So it's pretty hilarious. You have uh, a lot of people who are really invested in highly uh, intelligent wanting the 90s to happen again. <laughs> and for me, when I think of the 90s, it was a great time. Uh, like <laughs> you, it was a really good time, but partly because the workforce was was growing at a at a increasing rate and you had so much economic growth and GDP was growing and so all of these opportunities were there in the 90s and this is why you have the Federal Reserve kind of harkening back to the 90s and wanting to kind of spread this message of what this could be versus this is another growth cycle right and if you look at the stock market just the stock market right that has more than tripled during this uh, expansion that they keep saying right and incomes of that typical you know American household here are very much uh, aligned in the middle, but have gone up 30%. But when you adjust for inflation, 
it's only yep, 15%. So the gap between the winners and losers <laughs> of our economy continues to widen. This is why you have a lot of people discussing uh, politics when it comes to, like, to the 1% and all that kind of stuff. But there are, you know, facts coming out from the Federal Reserve themselves that say the top 1% hold 90 or I'm sorry, hold 31. Sometimes it feels like that. Well, 31% of all wealth. And ultimately, what's at play here? Right. Like, let's look at like what's really at play here. Well, there could be possibly another great recession that we go through. But ultimately, I think it has to do with how we function and how we measure growth and why they keep talking about this expansion. Everybody says, well, it's for the expansion. It's for the expansion. And I think what they're referring to is GDP, gross domestic product. But we have to look at how GDP is actually formulated. Like, how did it occur? Who made this up? Why was it made up like this? We really have to look at the system at play. Is it feeding off itself in like a feedback loop or is it the opposite way? Let's take a listen. Growth is a modern invention. When FDR was elected uh, US president in 1933, he wanted a measure of the economy because he wanted to spend money to get the American economy out of depression. But hard as it is to believe today, there was no such measure. Uh, he had things like freight car loadings, the stock market was in the tank, unemployment. So he set this man, this brilliant statistician called Simon Kuznets, who went around the country uh, with a small team and they came out with a document in 1934, which was to change the face of economics. Buried in this document was a startling revelation. That revelation was that the American economy had halved in three years. This gave Roosevelt the sort of empirical evidence he needed to double down on the New Deal. But even in his moment of triumph, Kuznets had various misgivings, serious misgivings about his invention. First of all, he wanted to subtract some things from GDP. He wanted to take away armaments because he figured these were not contributing to human welfare. Unfortunately for him, GDP became very important in the run-up to the Second World War, and he lost that battle. He wanted to take away financial speculation because he figured that shuffling bits of paper around should not be counted as true, genuine economic activity. Uh, he also lost that battle. And if we think about um, the run-up to the 2008 financial crisis, more's the pity. Kuznets, above all, thought that GDP should never, ever be confused with well-being. But I would argue that in our public discourse, that is exactly what we do. We use it as a proxy for, what, for the success of our societies uh, and our nations. You're probably wondering, like, Carr, what does this all have to do with Bitcoin? <laughs> like, it sounds, Carr, like you're baiting me on that title by me clicking on it. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. This has exactly everything to do with Bitcoin. And I'm about to get to that here in a few seconds. But let's talk Bitcoin and why this is important, why this symposium is important. Before I give you the bona fide big answer to all this and why we're discussing this in the first place, I'm going to tell you first off, and this is just fact, Bitcoin's becoming increasingly a macro hedge for investors against things that could go wrong, possibly go wrong, maybe might go wrong, definitely could go wrong, feels like it could go wrong, or is going wrong. Rate cuts are adding liquidity into this market, into this society. And what are they doing with that liquidity? Well, it's pushing money into commodities like gold, silver, and other type of assets like that. But it's also pushing liquidity into risk assets and something that people would call a hedge on the monetary policy. Bitcoin 
is that hedge on monetary policy. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can take this guy's word for it. Yeah, you and I were talking over lunch about similar things, and we're seeing flags everywhere of just excesses. That's right. Just people are so kind of hubristic because of the cheap money that they forget that the cost of money may not go up, but the supply of money may disappear. Exactly. Or it might not be available where it's needed. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's this great book on the 20s uh, called The Bubble That Broke the World by Garrett Garrett. Beautiful writer, phenomenally excellent writer. And he labels the problem of trying to solve the debt with debt. And that's exactly what we've done. Global debt is, what, 250 trillion, three times global GDP. And to get the amount of growth that we've gotten, as small as it is, we had to use much more debt than nominal GDP. So you're building up the debt to, to get a dollar worth GDP. And that's what worries me, because if the Fed are going to be pushing on the string, and I think, I think we're going to learn that the Fed cannot generate inflation very easily. We're seeing inflation expectations collapsing right now. And I think, uh, as you talk about, if the Fed start cutting rates, they'll realize they really can't shift that forward expectation of inflation. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens to debt burdens at that point. Because I, I fear that that shift, and again, something we were talking about before, is I fear that shift of the amount of corporate debt, which has doubled. You know, all the other debt since the last recession have kind of eased off somewhat. But corporate debt has completely exploded. It's now 100% of GDP. I really worry about that. What do, you, what do you think about the corporate debt situation? Totally. That's where the real Achilles heel is. And how much malinvestment was there? And where is it? And what happens if and when it has to pay an interest rate that reflects the risk of the credit? And what happens to buybacks if that's the case? Because you know, it's all driven by the same kind of circle. Exactly. And I'm worried that, you know, I don't know what the price should be for junk bonds, but it's clearly not, not what it is now. And if we see any defaults from triple B into junk bonds, then I think all the buyback stock, which is the only buyer of equities. So the whole thing is very circular and you could have a mild recession, but quite a big market event like 2000 was. Exactly. And so usually with a recession, at least from the research that I've been doing and from what I can remember, it wasn't like one big thing that somebody said or wasn't like one big major catastrophe that caused recession. It was these little hints along the way that kind of like breadcrumbs leading into this big collapse. Right. And if we know that uh, Deutsche Bank had some layoffs earlier this year, we saw what happened with China and the trade war. Uh, what's going on here with the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell and how he appears very dovish. If we also have something like, I don't know, let's say a central bank uh, supported digital currency being talked about at a, a World uh, Economic Policy Symposium, do you think that would be a breadcrumb? Well, because that's what happened. <laughs> Mark Carney went over to the Economic Policy Symposium in Jackson Hole, Wyoming on Friday, and he discussed the need for a new international monetary and financial system, noting that while the US dollar has played a dominant role in the world order over much the past century, recent developments such as increased globalization and trade disputes may have stronger impacts on national economies 
at the present moment than they would have in the past. Carney also highlighted that the dollar's use in the international securities issuance is used as the primary settlement currency for international trades and the fact that companies use dollars as examples of its dominance. However, developments, he says, in the U.S. economy by affecting the dollar exchange rate can have large spillover effects to the rest of the world. He went on to say, while the world economy is being reordered, the U.S. dollar remains as important as when veteran woods collapsed. He also said that it is an open question whether such a new synthetic hegemonic currency, SHC, would be best provided by the public sector, perhaps through a network of central bank digital currencies. Yeah, he's talking about disrupting the current network effects of the United States dollar right now. And he explained this in a uh, PDF that I'll put a link in the show notes for, along with everything else we talked about uh, in the very top of the show. But he uh, went on to say all these things and the vast majority of the media had no idea what he was talking about. Take a listen. Yeah, well, um, basically he's trying to find, you know, uh, 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 a new definition of the problem uh, that we have with imbalances in the global economy. And he says that, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem for everybody, as we know, when, when the dollar uh, moves. And maybe that uh, influence is too big, uh, especially for emerging market currencies. Um, and maybe the solution is to try and take away that dominance by coming up with some sort of multipolar um, uh, you know, virtual right. currency that won't be as affected by what happens in the U.S. And so is Carney sort of going out on a limb by himself or is his view something that's shared by other folks uh, of his stature? Oh, no, it's definitely not the first time uh, anybody's heard of this. If you know, well, BlackRock just released something here last week that we discussed on this very podcast. So they very much know that they don't want to go down the cryptocurrency route, right? Well, it's the first time I think any of us have actually heard of an idea like this. So. Uh and that's why you don't trust but verify anything you hear, say, or talk about. Uh, gosh, man, I don't know. You know, who knows what people um, what people are going to think uh, about it. I'm sure we'll hear more about it. But yeah, I think it's it's pretty fresh. It's new. It's fresh. It's new. It's also hot on the heels of EU announcing that they're going to be investigating into. Libra, the cryptocurrency that was announced by Facebook, which is yet to be unveiled, of course, as they want to go through the regulators. And indeed, Mark Carney has said it would need analyzing. But how much do you think this is a reaction to private sector, to talks of cryptocurrencies coming to the fore and central banks wanting to get ahead of that curve and have their own to a certain extent? Yeah, well, just to be clear, he's not talking about using Libra per se. Mm. It would be a currency that central banks be bound together and be something provided by the public sector. What he's saying is, look at look at the technology that we have. Why not, you know, try and piggyback off of that and come up with something similar that's really useful uh, and could uh, make uh, world trade more stable. And sort of, uh, did he sort of go into the idea of sort of what the uh, mechanism would be to actually, uh, I guess, pull this together? I mean, th that would be, it seems like this would be a pretty significant effort uh, to get all of the nations on board for this. Yeah, I mean, this is just the, you know, the very first draft of an idea. Um, I mean, what he, the way he set it up was to say, look, the, the dollar is dominant now. The renminbi is getting more dominant, uh, you know. 
should should we try and use the Renminbi more? Well, that that could be tricky too because um, you know when you have the competing reserve currencies, there's often turbulence with that. So maybe what we need to do is coordinate, look at together, and try and work out a virtual currency that's based on multiple uh, big currencies. So we don't have quite one dominant uh, where one central bank, in this case the Fed, uh, affects so much of what happens in the world. He's perhaps already come up with the acronym for it: SHC, Synthetic Hegemonic Currency best provided by the public sector through a network of central bank digital currencies. How, when listening to him, how passionate did it seem? Some of the statements coming, him are, coming from him are quite notable. In the longer term, we need to change the game, he said. When the change comes, it shouldn't be to swap one currency hegemon for another. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, he, he's trying to think big thoughts here uh, and put out solutions. I mean, I'm sure everyone saw Larry Summers tweeting yesterday that you know we need a radical rethink of stuff. We need new solutions, and this is um, you know this is in a lot of ways redefining the problem. That you know people haven't talked about the dollar's dominance as being what's really driving imbalances in the world. It's just a, a side effect of uh, you know the way that things work. Uh, so he's he's trying to be radical. I think it's um, you know something that a lot of people are going to consider. It's going to make people think. <laughs> it's going to make people think, he says. Oh, my God. So there's five stages of grief, right? When it comes to this acceptance for Bitcoin, we've already gone through denial stage. We've gone through anger stage. Now we're going through a bargaining stage. Now, this stage involves the hope that the individual can avoid a cause of grief. Usually it's a negotiation, right? It's it's a cryptocurrency, but it's not a cryptocurrency. Uh, but maybe it's a stable back, stable coin. Before this happens, there's usually stage four, and that's depression, right? And that's going to be the oncoming collapse that everybody is pointing at here in the near term. And then after that comes acceptance. <laughs> We're still in the bargaining phase, but make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around closely for this. Um, we are entering something that is so disruptive right now, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, that there isn't going to be any way for anybody to stop where this is going. This is seriously going to change things. And if they want to bargain with the world's economy in order to avoid something like Bitcoin, well, gosh, I can't wait to sit on the sidelines and see what's going to happen. Because make no mistake, if there's anything that I'm doing right now, I'm buying Bitcoin, baby, and I'm buying some more crypto. All right, with that, let's get into Coin Talk, starting now. It is time. Only crypto, coins, trade, predictions ahead. It is what you spend all day wondering, isn't it? This crypto free. Only on Coin Talk. Coin Talk. Coin Talk. gentlemen it's time for coin talk my favorite part of the day your favorite part of the day too i hope so um i went ahead and i made a mistake on was it thursday thursday i made a mistake i uploaded uh, an episode and for whatever reason i selected the wrong file and i'm so sorry because it was a thriller rundown and on the way to my hometown i was driving and i was like huh this is it was a friday and usually i look at the stats to see who's listened and then i saw like no one was listening i was like huh that's interesting and then i go and click on the thriller rundown and sure enough lo and behold it's the previous episode and i was just so crushed i immediately got on telegram and said hey 
I'm so sorry, I uh, uploaded the wrong one. Let me go ahead and upload that when I come back. So I went ahead and uploaded it already before this podcast. So first thing I did, as soon as I walked through the door, so I do apologize about that. I'm gonna try to create something uh, a little bit more manageable as far as the system that I have right now in uploading stuff. Maybe put it, maybe use folders car. <laughs> maybe use folders. Uh, yeah, I need to do something like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I just wanna apologize for that. Uh, so sorry. Um, but also, this is another good reason to subscribe to our Telegram. You know, head over there. I put a link in the show notes for the last episode. Um, and so, yeah, just subscribe to our Telegram. This is where like anything that I need to reach y'all, I'll put it in there. I don't really want to send more email. I feel like, you know, I send a, too much email as it is, <laughs> which is three a week. So definitely any kind of updates or anything like that, I'll be doing through uh, Telegram until they make like some kind of messaging board system for um for this Substack thing. But uh, other than that, um, I had a really great weekend. I wanna do a uh, coin talk segment, but we're gonna cover the coin talk segment, but I wanna tell you a story in coin talk segment. I hope you're okay with that because I think it's gonna be one of the most interesting stories that I've ever told, uh, at least personally, about myself. Okay, with that, it's time to roll the disclaimer. Remember, Thriller Podcast does not give financial advice. He cannot tell the future. Even if he thinks can, he is just some dude, trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Coin Talk. Today we are talking um, Bitcoin story time. <laughs> But but let's just talk about the coin market cap real quick because I want to I want to give you my insights on what's going on with that first. Uh, total market cap right now two hundred seventy one billion. Uh, we have a Bitcoin dominance at sixty nine percent. Bitcoin is currently priced at ten thousand four hundred fifty. I've been kind of watching it all weekend. Uh, it dipped below ten thousand this weekend uh, on the news of what Jerome Powell was saying. Uh, then we also have Ethereum at one hundred ninety dollars. We have XRP at twenty seven cents. Bitcoin Cash at three hundred nine dollars. Litecoin at seventy four dollars, which I'm surprised price is still holding steady at $74. I thought that was going to completely tank, but man, gosh, I was hoping for $50, $60 Litecoin, but it looks like it's going to hold steady at 70 70 dollars it looks like. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on that because that's something that I definitely want to get back in as uh, something that I want to invest in long term because I recognize that it's probably will be recognized as a commodity at some point. But I have no there, before I should preface that by saying I have no like insight onto onto like anybody saying that specifically about Litecoin. I just know that when I look at all these assets, I look at Bitcoin, Litecoin, um, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash. I know, I know what you're going to say about that. And uh, probably Zcash are the ones that I'm looking at are probably going to be considered commodities at some point. But for right now, it's just Bitcoin, baby. Until we get further word on any of those other ones. And first, trust me, I will be digging for that kind of information. Uh, Ethereum, that's why I'm loading up on a lot of Ethereum right now. But I do recognize that Litecoin could be another possibility as well. But, but that's not any, what, anything what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I wanted to talk about why uh, Bitcoin has gone up. Right now we're at $10,400. $10, if you know this space pretty well and you know how markets adjust in the in the, in the, in the grace of news that we just got on Friday, um, 
th- this news that we're talking about today is going to hit tomorrow. It's going to hit the mainstream. This is what's going to be driving the news for the rest of the week. People are going to be talking about why central banks want to create their own cryptocurrency. Like this is going to be something that's going to uh, drive, um, you know, I wouldn't say certainty, but it's going to drive speculation. And this is good for the price of Bitcoin. And I think that's why we're seeing it go up. Um, you have to recognize in the space, everything kind of takes time. This space runs really fast. So we're we're like at least two months ahead before the mainstream. Um, I would say myself, I try to keep a week or two weeks ahead of everybody else in this in this space, at least for myself. That's just something I put on myself. Sometimes I'm late or sometimes I'm missing something completely. Um, but knowing where I'm looking at, uh, I always try to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to like crypto or Bitcoin or anything like that. I always try to find the scoop. <laughs> but right now, I think we're headed towards a nice little little rise here. I think we're going to see Bitcoin uh, rise in the near term here this week. Um, it's not surprising. Uh, I think it's really bullish news. We were talking about earlier in this show that is extremely bullish news. And the bullish news that we've been covering here in the past couple of weeks uh, in this subscription podcast, it, it is all bullish news. It has me very excited, which leads me into my story. So this weekend, went to visit my mom. It was her birthday. We had a wonderful time with the family and everything like that. Um, My (laughs) brother-in-law just doesn't recognize cryptocurrency or Bitcoin as something as tangible as cash, right? Uh, I I do understand. I want to preface this by saying I have nothing but love for him, just in case he's listening. I don't think he is. But it's one of those things where I recognize when I meet people like him, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to try to convince them because I usually don't. Right. I don't convince people. It's not something I do. I did in like earlier days in 2015, 2016, 2017. I would try to convince people of things. These days, I don't. I just said all I say is like, okay, well, that's your opinion. And I disagree. And this is my opinion. But Okay, and I said, but if you want to find out more information, fillerx.com. Like that's what I say. I leave it at that, and let them go and figure it out. Sometimes we'll get some people, you know, contact me back. Oh, you're so right. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't care about that stuff. Don't pick it up. Don't pick it down. Okay, so with this, he kind of was. I felt not. I don't want to say he was picking on me, but he was just kind of like, hey. Uh, well, well, why do you say it's 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 worth something? And mind you, this guy's very educated. Like he's uh, he works at a hospital. He's uh, he's I forget what type of medical uh, occupation he has, but it has something to do with like uh, I see. See, I don't even know. It's not my segment. <laughs> the ICU or whatever hospital. I'm, I don't know. I'm not like I'm not one of those people that I know really. Th- I know things about some stuff like cryptocurrency, technology, networking, stuff like that clued in but when you ask me about other this you'll come to realize when you start asking me about other facets of like health and like fitness and stuff like that I have no idea I'm lost you know um this is I, I stick to what I know is what I'm trying to say so yes he he works he works um you know at a hospital and ICU and he does um does something that's very you know um you know important I don't know he saves lives so that's all I know right um but he was asking me, he's like, well, why, why is Bitcoin valuable? <laughs> so it was one of those things where, like, I didn't want to say, like, you know, I didn't want to go on this tirade because I didn't feel like it was necessary. I said, well, why is uh, the paper money valuable? Uh, why is your cash? Why is that valuable? And he said, because it's backed by gold. <laughs> 
And I couldn't believe it. He said it was backed by gold. And I was like, wow, okay. I was like, well, why is gold valuable? Because I, I skipped that for a second. I was like, why is gold valuable? And then he said, well, it's valuable because, you know, you can mine it and then you can you have it and it's worth something, you wear it and all this stuff. And, you know, it's actually worth something. People think it's worth something. I go, yeah, Bitcoin's the same way. It's like digital gold. It's worth something. But no, no, no. Anybody can hack Bitcoin and all these things and everything like that. And I said, no, they can't hack Bitcoin. That's not how, that's not how it works. And he saw, he saw me laughing. He was like, well, tell me, well, why, why, why is it valuable? And I said, well, I went to the whole thing through scarcity, talking about scarcity, talking about why Bitcoin is scarce. Um, talking about exactly who Satoshi Nakamoto is, <laughs> you know, went into that, went into, you know, uh, the actual implications of what true decentralization really is, talking about cryptography, um, went into all the usual use cases of to why Bitcoin is valuable. I told him about how inflation exists in our world and how in Bitcoin there's only 21 million. I talked to him about all this stuff that he just uh, was just like saying, no, 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 no. And it wasn't until I told him, I was like, well, you I was like, you think because <laughs> it got to a certain point where we were kind of like not arguing, but like kind of like going back and forth. And he, he told me, he's like, well, I said, well, you think that you're that that dollar, that hundred dollar bill in your wallet's worth <laughs> the same amount in gold, but it's not. And he goes, yes, it is. It's always I was like, no, it's not. It hasn't been since guess. And he's like. Well, uh, didn't we have the financial crisis in 2008? So probably since 2008, we haven't had it backed by gold, but still worth something. I was like, nope, it's longer than that. And he's like, well, probably 2000. And I was like, nope, longer than that. And when I told him it was 1973, 1971, somewhere around there during Nixon, he was surprised. He couldn't believe it. He didn't believe me. So he went to Google it. And sure enough, he found out. And I said, I was like, what do you think's going on right now? And he had no idea about that we're heading into a recession, that this is what's going on. They're printing this amount of money. And this is the trillion dollars of debt that we have around the world and what corporate debt is. <laughs> Explaining to him about these monetary behemoths like BlackRock and FMR Corp, which is Fidelity. Talking about how they just sat down in this musical game of chairs <laughs> for Bitcoin and how the biggest uh, macro, <laughs> one of the biggest uh, macro uh, uh, behemoths in, in the financial industry, Fidelity, FMR Corp, has not only started mining Bitcoin, but is retroactively like saying that they did start mining Bitcoin in 2015. And you're telling me that that's not sound money, but you ha I have a trillion dollar corporation like Fidelity already doing it. But OK, I guess, you know, more than they do. <laughs> and so I started teaching them all this stuff about what was really going on and, and like where we were headed and, you know, who backed this and what and what ICE was and and how they were at around the same time in 2008 and how when it came to uh, these, uh, I think they're CDSs. Uh, these collateralized loans that the the federal government put in place, uh, ICE and all the uh, monetary back and forth uh, of, of these loans and exchange, and how we're kind of seeing something similar now. Where I don't think it's the federal government, you know, saying go start a Bitcoin exchange, but you do have backed releasing around the same time of this next recession, and kind of it just feels all kind of funny, right? <laughs> Warm butterfly feelings going on inside, and so I started explaining all this stuff to him, and at a certain point he realized. He was pissed. He was really, really pissed off. And he didn't get pissed off 
until it was until I told him about what gold was, until I told him about what inflation was, until I told him about um, how you have the money supply is not only inflated, but they're they're not trying to keep it a secret. It's just no one's reporting. No one in the in the media is reporting on the findings that they're finding. I even showed them documents that I'm looking at. Like, Here's the documents like it's right here for everybody to see. They're reporting what's going on. It's just no one's reporting on them reporting on it on it. And no one's looking at it. I was like, these these page views that I'm looking at have less than 10 page views. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, right. And so and so when I started explaining this to him, he was like, well, um, what do we do? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm just showing you all this, these facts. And I'm trying to tell you like Bitcoin is important. And these are the reasons why it's important. And you're telling me that it's a joke and you're falling into the narrative by what you're probably hearing from. I don't know where he's hearing it from. I didn't ask him that, but I was like, who knows where you're hearing that information from, but it's probably the same people that are telling you the information that are telling you to keep your money primarily in cash. And at that point, he got he got really upset. He couldn't believe that he had been swindled for so long. And uh, I wasn't trying to do that to him. But at a certain point, I, I, I don't think most people out there understand just basic uh, economics or, and how the society functions. And this is a very smart man. He is not dumb. He went to, went to college and everything and there, he's, he's working and he's saving lives every day. So he's not dumb. Like he understands, you know, uh, systems, but he doesn't understand stuff like on a technological level or stuff on a financial level or like the macro or geopolitical climate that we're currently in. And it was one of those things that I was, I told him too, I was like, Hey, when I found out about this stuff, I was upset too. <laughs> like I was just as surprised, like with all this stuff, like there was, nothing that I have told you today that I wasn't upset about that I've gotten upset about but every single thing I've told you I've I've had to deal with those those internal kind of conflicts you have in your head like hey why is this this way and who made it this way that's not fair and but after you get over that <laughs> like after you get over that you, you come to realize okay what can I do that about it what could be my hedge against it and the only conclusion I've come to is to hedge with Bitcoin and possibly other cryptocurrencies but primarily Bitcoin Bitcoin. And this is what I told him. And I said, you need a, I was like, if you really serious about this, you need a dollar cost averaging. And I explained to him what dollars cost averaging. And I showed him the calculator that we have. I'll put a link of that in the show notes. And I showed him the, uh, the inflation calculator on, on actual USD dollar and how that occurs. And I, I even went to the website that the government provides so you can look at the inflation that we currently are seeing. And he was staggered by the, the results that he saw. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, too, so you guys can take a look at the inflation that we're currently experiencing and, and what's not being reported by the media. They're telling us completely something completely different. I don't think it's their fault either. Uh, and I, I told him that and he was like, what do you mean? It's fake news. Blah, blah. I was like, no, I think they're just misinformed. I think they I, I know what it feels like to uh, to create something on a really low quality level like a podcast. But I understand the time constraints when it comes to creating something like this. You have to get the kind of speed through the process. You have to do your research really, really fast. Um, but you also have to present an interesting product to the listener and you have to capture their attention. And when you say go to the this website, click on this and showing a demo of that on on TV wouldn't sit well with ratings, I would imagine. Right. So so I told him these things. I was like, it's really not 
I was like, it's really not their fault, but it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. Um, and I said, it's really up to you, the person, to go out there and do the research on it or find somebody who knows what they're talking about and listen to them and maybe listen to about 20 others <laughs> as well, too, just so you can have a really good idea of what's going on. Um, so I was telling him all this stuff. And then finally, he ended up buying into Bitcoin. Uh, he he downloaded Coinbase app. Uh, he started his own Bitcoin journey. And I told him, I was like, biggest advice I can give to you is never think about this ever again. <laughs> and he was like, what are you talking about? You just told me. And I said, I know, but you don't want to fall down the rabbit hole of, of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin because it could lead to um, what I went through, like where you start buying all these cryptocurrencies and you start betting long gains on them and then they all go to nothing. And you can either hold on to them or sell them at a loss. And I refuse to sell at a loss, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is the stuff. This is the stuff I refuse to do. But through that, through that, you learn about what's actually a good project. What's what are, what are the, the good things and bad things of this technology and what to avoid. You understand how to hedge against stuff and the whole thing. And I told him, I was like, primarily just invest in Bitcoin. So he did. So he said you can set like a schedule in Coinbase. So he set a schedule is going to be buying Bitcoin every two weeks. And I said, how much would you pay for a subscription, um, you know, for the next um I don't know, Netflix or Disney that's coming out. He's like, I'd pay like $25, $30. I was like, well, just invest that. I was like, you make enough money. <laughs> I was like, just invest what you're willing to lose. I was like, you spent $20 on lunch today, right? And he's like, yeah, we spent $40 on lunch. I was like, exactly. You put what you would be willing to lose that you're okay with. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to invest this much. And I said, dude, do it. And then I told him, I was like, I'll even do you one better. I'll send you some Bitcoin, too, as well. So you so you have more to start off with. And he was like, you would send me Bitcoin? I thought you don't want to even get rid of it. I was like, I don't. But I recognize that uh, you are my brother-in-law. <laughs> we are family. And you are, you know, the father of my nieces and nephew. So, <laughs> of course, I want to make sure that they have a financial future. And, uh, you know, I had told my sister about this. And she she was she's very much a very good wife. And she said, you know, we'll, we'll talk to Marcus about it. He's he's the one that, you know, looks at all this stuff. And I don't know if he's just going to buy into a car. And I was like, well, I'll talk to him. And I wasn't really going to talk to him about it this weekend. But we spent about eight hours yesterday, which is Saturday, discussing Bitcoin. And by the end of it, he was a full fledged on Bitcoiner. And that wasn't my intention, but um, it kind of led that way. And that's my story. That's the story I wanted to share. So if you guys recognize that with somebody in your family or somebody that you're close to and they just don't recognize it, I would say leave them alone. Eventually, they're going to attack you. <laughs> and then you're going to have to explain yourselves. And you could probably do one or two things. You can either point them in my direction, thrillerx.com, tell them to listen to that podcast, or you could explain it to them for yourselves. But honestly, don't let people, you know, convince you that this is not a real thing. Cause it is. I've I've lived through it for the past. Uh, gosh, it feels forever ago, but for the past four years, and I've seen the ups and downs, and I've seen where it's gone. And if you would have told me all this stuff was going to happen four years ago, I would have not believed you when it came to Bitcoin. I didn't think it was going to be this big, this fast, and it is. And this is why we're at ten thousand four hundred fifty dollars right now of, of, of Bitcoin. I I have a feeling, if not. Uh, we have some time traveler proof. <laughs> Listen to the last episode that we're going to be at a very good place here in October for that price of Bitcoin. But with that, let's get on to the end of the show.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. I really, 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 really appreciate you. Um, yeah, it's just a crazy weekend, very crunched down in, in time. So if I don't record a podcast tomorrow, that's probably why. <laughs> I need to get some rest, uh, primarily just sleep. It was a crazy weekend. But I will be back on Tuesday, full firing away, unless something immediate happens tomorrow. Like uh, the world collapses. It's the only way we'll do a show. But see you next time. Bye, Bitcoin. See the world. This is the end of the show. You have been listening to Thriller Podcast with R. Gonzalez. Remember, Thriller Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Carr said likely won't come true. It is up to you. Now go do your own research. Listen to other dudes that start their name with crypto and not car. And remember, buy Bitcoin and save the world. One Satoshi at a time.